Welcome to How to Make It in Africa. My name is Fadil Jawi and I'm your host. This new podcast will bring you some of the best stories of African entrepreneurship. African entrepreneurs have their own great successes and they will be on this show to share them. We will have in-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, creatives and other change makers. Together with our exciting guests, we will explore and dissect their motivations, their challenges and the strategies to succeed across Africa and to build businesses that scale regionally and internationally. Now, let's get straight to it and let me introduce you to our very first guest who's already disrupting fashion in Africa and globally. So sit back, keep running, driving, whatever it is that you're doing right now and enjoy the first episode of How to Make It in Africa. Hi everyone, our very first guest is Sam Mensa Jr. Sam is founder and CEO of Kiswa, a unique fashion brand that takes inspiration from traditional African techniques and materials, blending them with a contemporary design aesthetic and ethical production methods to create styles for the modern professional. The brand's clients include award-winning musician Beyoncé and Hugues Netaporte Group, the world's leading online luxury fashion retailer. Kiswa is the only African fashion brand with distribution centers on three continents, Africa, Europe, and America, from where the company services a global client base through an international e-commerce platform. The company won Best Emerging African Brand in the Best Brands Africa Awards 2015. Prior to founding Kiswa, Sam worked in investment banking at Deutsche Bank London. He also worked in technology at Intel, setting up the Silicon Valley company's Africa operations, and in venture capital as Africa director for Intel Capital. Originally from Ghana, but living in Johannesburg, Sam holds an MA in economics and management from Oxford University and is an Archbishop Desmond Tutu African Leadership Fellow. Sam, welcome to the show, and I'm delighted to have you with us today. Hey, Fidel. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. Finally. <laughs> Finally, we made it. Yes, yes. Let's start from the very beginning. You left a comfortable job and a stable life to start a business and to embark on a journey into the unknown. We are told to go to the best universities, which you did, then a career in investment banking or consultancy, which you did as well. We are also told to minimize risk and avoid failure at all costs. Essentially, this is how we are typically wired. So what was the trigger or moment when your mind was rewired and you decided to switch from being a professional to becoming an entrepreneur? I think it happened over a, a period of time, Fidel. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it was one particular moment. I think there were perhaps two drivers. And one was... As you were saying, you know, there's this conditioning when you're growing up, you know, do your best, get good grades, go to the best schools, best universities, get good jobs and you'll be happy. And so I kind of followed that script. And then, and then you meet people in your professional career who, who are unhappy, you know, they, mm. they just like you, uh, they may be 10, 15, 20 years ahead in their career. And, and you look at them and you say, that's what I'm going to be someday. Am I okay with that? You know, do I want to spend the next 20, 30 years of my life doing this and becoming these people who are ahead of me in the queue? 
And then as you get closer and closer to the top of the queue, you then have to decide, am I prepared to do what it takes to get to the top of the ladder in a large corporation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the long hours, the politics, the you know, the lack of a personal life, the the sacrifices that you have to make. Is that is for a large corporation? Is that is that what I really want to do? And so that was that was one part of it. And then the other was, you know, what's my passion? If I'm not going to stay at a large corporation for the next twenty or thirty years, what what's my passion? What will I enjoy? What will I have fun doing? that may make me wealthy, but not necessarily. I could actually end up much, much poorer than I am currently in my, in my comfortable job. And I think for me, it was a case of it had just got into a point where I wanted to try something new. I wanted to try something different. And being African as well and traveling across the African continent, uh, there's just so much opportunity for us to take charge of our destiny, for us to start businesses that, that have an impact and and so for me that was the that was the key driver you know i had worked for wonderful companies i had gotten wonderful experience i had made uh, wonderful friendships and relationships but it was time to take a different path um carve a new path try something new try something different you know i knew that you know if i ended up being you know 60 or 65 and retiring at a big multinational I'll be very comfortable but I probably would never forgive myself I would always wonder what if you know this idea I had or that idea I had what if I had actually done this or what if I had actually done that so I didn't want any what ifs and uh, and so at some point in my travels across Africa I often interact with creatives uh, whether they are fashion boutiques museums I would go to places where I could listen to local bands play. Always had an interest and a fascination with what I call African cultural assets, you know, food, music, art, fashion. So enjoy these in the various parts of Africa that I get to. And one of the things I do is I buy fashion items every now and then for friends, you know, as a dress or a shirt or something. And word started to get around and people come and ask me, hey, I saw that really nice shirt that you bought from Senegal for yeah. Fidel. I want one. How do I get it? Yeah. I would say, hey, why don't you check on the internet? I'm sure you can find it. And people come back and say, actually, I, ca- I can't. I can't find it on the internet. It's too, it's too risky. I can't find that product. Or even when I do, I don't trust the website. Can yeah. I give you some money? So the next time you go to Senegal, you bring it for me. And I'm like, hey, I'm not sure when next I'm going to be in Senegal. So I don't want to have to take your money and then you know, hang on to it and not bring you the shirt that you want so bad. And that's where the idea came from, basically. It's, you know, we really need to sort out for the creative industries a mechanism to get products that are very much loved, products that are on the covers of international magazines, worn by some of the most stylish women in the world, products from African designers. My brand has had the privilege of dressing, you know, really stylish women. Like yeah, I know. Say, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. Uh, I've seen that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so have, you know, other designers have also dressed on stylish women in the world, African design. And yet it still remains a logistical nightmare challenge to be able to transact and get products from African designers who are very, very talented. That was my mission to try and figure out a way to, to solve that problem. Uh, very, and that's how, that was the birth of Kisura. 
No, that's very, that's very interesting. So basically, the idea came naturally, you know, as, uh, as you continue your journey across Africa and uh, connecting with people and seeing things uh, happening. So relatedly, what's the, the edge of African fashion that you can't find in the rest of the world, i.e. in the rest of, Afri- you know, international brands? I think the answer to that has just got to do with, I mean, you could say the same about African music. Mm-hmm. African arts or African food, it's yeah. just got its own flavor. It's just different, spicy, it's, um, it's colorful, it's energetic. You know, we take inspiration from all the different colors and hues of the African continent. And, you, you know, Africans, we love to dance, we love to laugh, we yeah. love color. We just bring that spark and that energy. And then also our expression of our culture. You know, we have a, our own unique culture and nobody can express African culture in whatever art form, whether it's music or fashion or art better than an African. Gotcha. And gotcha. I think that's, 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 that's what makes it special. And that's, you know, that's why all over the world, African, African fashion is getting, you know, so much, so much attention. But then at the same time, we don't have an internationally recognized African brand like Azara, Prada, or Dior, at least before Kiswa. So why is the African fashion industry underdeveloped? So I think a big part of it has to do with just a, a culture of mm-hmm. taking creative businesses seriously. So we could, we could turn your question on its head and we could look at other industries. You know, we have African, fantastic African cement company. We have fantastic African homegrown supermarkets. You can look at many other other sectors where we have built homegrown companies, you know, banks, oil companies. And because, you know, there is a perception that these are serious companies. You know, construction is a serious business. Hmm. Banking and finance, that's that's serious business. Energy, oil, that's serious business. Mining, that's serious Creatives, you know, they sing and they dance and they draw and they make clothes. You know, that's yeah. not really a serious business. You know, our parents didn't send us to school so that we can yeah. become tailors or dancers or, you know. Just stick uh, them around. School so that, exactly. You know, they send us to school so that we go and get good jobs at good companies, banks or oil companies and make a good living and be happy. Um, and so I think this, there hasn't been that, that appreciation until maybe fairly recently of the commercial potential of the African creative industries as a whole, yeah. not just fashion, but across all the creative industries. I mean, it's only recently in the last 10 or 15 years that, you know, African music has really exploded on the world stage, mostly led by Nigerian artists. But before then, it was, you know, there were a handful of successful international African artists and it was a niche. And now it's, it's, it's mainstream. You know, you, mm. uh, b- before Corona, if you went to a nightclub in any major city in the world, you know, whether it's London, New York, Paris, you know, Beijing, they will play an African track. And yeah. you would be suddenly on the desk from like, wow, okay, these Chinese people dancing to... P squared uh, of flavor, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. 
and I think it's it's the same with uh, with African fashion that African fashion has not really matured as an industry because it hasn't had the right investment, uh, both in terms of capital as well mm. as human talent. The inputs that go into building companies, those investments have not been made in, in African fashion, which is ironic because you, you then have you know, major international brands like Louis Vuitton or Burberry or Stella McCartney coming and taking inspiration from Africa and African culture and making collections for their brands that are incredibly successful and that sell and generate, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars uh, globally. And I, for one, don't particularly mind using Africa as an inspiration for international brands and international creatives. We can all get inspiration from everywhere. Anyway, I guess my issue as somebody who's passionate about development in Africa is that if you're going to take ideas from Africa, at least include Africa in the supply chain. At least, no. you know, use it to generate some productive activity in Africa so that we also participate 100%. in the benefits that are going to be derived from the commercialization of our culture. 100%. Um, and, often, and often that's not the case. When international brands come to Africa for ideas, they take the ideas and then they go elsewhere and they manufacture elsewhere. Oftentimes, they don't even have Africans on their design team. So... You know, the, just us taking more more control of yeah. um, of our economies and taking control of these cultural assets and, and 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 being responsible for turning them into businesses. Of course, we are open to collaborations. We are internationalists in our view, working with um, other brands, other international retailers, international investors. So I'm not by any way advocating isolationism, but sure. just the Africans need to take more responsibility for the development. I mean, I like what you're saying because, you know, essentially what you want to emphasize is it's important to, to keep the business as local as possible so that, you know, there are positive ramifications for the African continent and, and the economies. And, and relatedly, what I want to ask you is, how do you find and attract the right talent from Africa? And can you find it in Africa in the first place? There is a lot of talent in Africa. Sometimes the challenge with the talent is that it requires a bit more investment in that talent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for we have all these young people on the African continent, incredibly creative, but perhaps not as worldly. That might be what is exciting about them is the fact that they're so refreshingly pure almost. In order to trade with the world, you, you need to operate in a certain way. You need to adhere to certain standards of trade. I'll give you an example. We have lots of very, very good African creatives and African designers. In order for these African creatives and designers to be internationally successful, they need to make products that meet international standards. So if a garment is a size 10, right? Mm-hmm. It needs to be a size 10 everywhere in the world. So if it's UK, UK 10 or, or, a, or, a, or a US uh, 6, it, it needs to be those exact dimensions. Uh, we need consistency mm-hmm. in the application of, of standards. And for that, um, you need to have some training, you know, some yeah. 
transfer of the technical or vocational skills. So the raw creativity is there, the talent is there, but how do you train a designer in, in, in pattern making or the importance of grading so that your size is consistent and the importance of, um, of quality production so that you can sell everywhere because I've seen that too. Sometimes the creativity is really good, but then the quality of the finishes is, is disappointing. So, you know, I would, for example, I'd go to these leather markets and, um, and you would have these beautiful bags, beautiful leather bags. And, and, and then sometimes just, it's just let down by, by the finishing. Sorry to cut you, but like, actually I've seen very similar things in North Africa. I've seen that uh, in Morocco, for example. So you have uh, great uh, craftsmen, as you say, but it's the finishing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a standardization issue. There's a precision issue. So these are, as you say, skills that are lacking for the labor force coming into the sector. So are, are, you, are you thinking at all of developing youth skills yourself or your company, like establishing a Kiswa Academy to reduce the skills mismatch? So, so that's, a, that's an important point. You know, we, we consider ourselves to be still uh, something of a startup. Uh, so uh, as, with, as with most startups, our resources are limited. And, and so setting up a large academy can be, can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. But what we do is uh, we work with a lot of young people. We give a lot of young people opportunity. We train a lot of young people in the business. So it is uh, on-the-job training. A lot of young we also collaborate with other young designers. And I mean, those collaborations, those collaborations tend to be a really good way for us to transfer skills onto these, these young people. So yeah. it's not an academy per se, but it is a structure that enables us to help uh, develop and uplift uh, young people either by collaborations with them or by them coming and working with us in the business and getting, and getting training on the job. Okay. And, and this, is a, this is a common trend that you see across, across Africa in multiple industries. There's a lot of young people. They're very, very hungry. They are, they're talented. They have raw talent. They just, they just need some, some development and some investment to really unleash, unleash their potential. Very interesting. So you're, you're essentially building a network of the young talent. And as you say, it is a very raw talent. And then you're helping them channel that talent to, to something productive. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of the fashion industry is that, you know, the, the value chain is long, right? Yeah. So when the value chain is so long, um, I mean, the, the value chain for, for fashion starts on the farm, you yeah. know, with the production of cotton. And then it goes all the way through turning that cotton into, into yarn, into fabric, printing fabric. And then there's the design work that happens. And then you, 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 you sample. Uh, and then you go into, into production, into bulk production after sampling. And sampling is a long process. But, yeah. but after you complete that process, you go into, and, and, and sometimes when you sample, you sample more than once. So you make one sample, it's not quite right. You change it, you try it on a fit model. The issue, you change it again until you get the, until you get the, the sample perfect. And then once you've got the sample perfect, and you go into bulk production with your patterns, etc. Yeah. There, then you have the marketing materials that need to be created. So you have the young African photographers and the models 
that we work with to create all this content around the, the, the products and the social media influencers and uh, you know the, the artists in, in music and, and other fields that we yeah. can address so it's a whole ecosystem mm-hmm. where you you get to positively impact the interesting bit here is as you say, you know, you're talking about different bits and pieces of the ecosystem, but from the looks of it and our previous discussion on the underdeveloped state of the sector, you literally had to build the supply chain from scratch. So can you tell us a bit more about what it took to build this ecosystem from scratch and, and how Kiswa's value chain is structured today, roughly? What makes it challenging with the supply chain is that a lot of what you call African fashion is actually not made in Africa, right? Mm. A lot of it is made in other parts of the world, mostly China. So we, yeah. we took it upon ourselves very early on to say, you know, we're going to try and make as much of this product in Africa as possible. We're not only designing in Africa, but we're producing in Africa and we're sourcing from Africa. That's our default position is we source from Africa. In very yeah. rare cases where we cannot get something that's not locally made, then we source overseas, but for the most part, we, we source locally. So that means you need local suppliers who have also got local supply chains, you know, so you're looking for fabric suppliers who are sourcing cotton from, which is what we do. We use source cotton from Mali, Burkina Faso, uh, Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, and then the fabric comes mostly from uh, Nigeria, Ghana, and Congo and some of it also from South Africa. And then we do the production in, in, in South Africa and, and Rwanda mostly. And these products are then exported and sold all over the world. But yep. it's the, what gives us the satisfaction and what is hard is doing it in Africa with all the, mm. the, the challenges, the too many borders, the lack of harmonization of customs policies, etc., And all of these create obstacles. But at the end of it, it um, you know, the customer doesn't want to buy African mm. fashion made in China. It just doesn't Interesting. sound the same, right? It's part yeah. of the experience to buy African fashion that is, that is made in Africa that comes with a story that you know, you know, this cotton was grown from African soil. Yarn in Africa, this fabric woven in Africa, printed and designed in Africa, and produced in Africa, it just has a certain, it just has a certain ring to it. You know, it's like champagne that doesn't come from, of course, of course, France. You know, it just has something that's not quite the same, mm. even though at face value it's the same product. Yeah, it's the authenticity basically that you that exactly. that everybody is looking for. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I mean, I want to take you to. To, to a different topic, but you mentioned it earlier, and that's financing. So who first funded the startup? So the, the startup was initially funded by myself. You know, I haven't had a, a little bit of a background in, in, in venture capital. I knew that yeah. um, the most credible founders who are able to raise money are generally those who have put skin in the game. So it's very difficult to ask other people to put money Mm. If you, as the founder and the, you know, the sponsor of, of a concept, have yourself, you're yeah. not fully invested in the concept. So 
I started out, I sold everything that I had, everything I had except, you know, the roof over my head that I could sell. I sold That's it. a lot of sacrifices, I'm saying. It is. It is a lot of sacrifice. Yeah. It's a complete lifestyle change mm-hmm. as well. Because uh, you can imagine, you know, you work for a, a Fortune 500 company, it's a yeah. director for a region, it comes with perks and privileges, and you give, not only do you give that all up, but then you liquidate, you know, the vast majority of your assets, sell everything that you have, and, uh, and put it in a high-risk venture. Was, um, your family, was your family okay with that? If I may ask, my 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 parents were a little bit taken aback. You know, they saw it as some sort of midlife crisis. <laughs> I remember my father asking me if I didn't think maybe I just need a motorbike, and uh, rather than <laughs> it's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why Give him his bike. Motorbike, right? Give him his bike. <laughs> <laughs> rather than this uh, this adventure that you this ex- really really expensive adventure that you yeah. you want to go motorbike would be way cheaper and and so yeah it was a, they, they thought it was strange and they thought it was uh you know they, they were concerned that i was giving up so much for this dream and i and, and i think in the beginning you know and there's the thing about entrepreneurship in the beginning you see it in your head and yeah. and most people around you don't know what you're talking about you sound like a crazy person Sure. You know, you literally you sound like a crazy person who's describing something that nobody else can see. That's the definition sure. of madness, yeah. right? And so people look at you funny. Uh, even your own family will look at you funny. But, you know, you believe in it and then you've made peace with the consequences as well, right? So you know that I'm putting everything I have into this, into this venture mm. and it might not work. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, uh, I will end up with nothing. So... So you make peace with that. But at the same time, you know that this is something you have to do. Because if you don't do it, you probably will always wonder, what if? And, uh, and if you, you know, look at the world the way I do, I don't want to have the what ifs. So, so yep. I'm also careful about risk, you know. Sure. Um, I was an investment banker for crying out loud. So, yes. so, so I also like to manage my risks and be meticulous and, and cautious about how I approach it, the risk. But at the end of the day, you have to take some risks. Otherwise, life would be very, very boring. Yeah, it's calculated. Um, calculated yeah, risk. I best manage those risks, but you have to take them. So that's what I did. And I put in my own funding uh, and, and started the business. And, and I think for my, 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 my funders, that was a very important symbolic moment. Right, because I had kind of before I actually started about a year before I started, I had started the conversation with a number of potential funds. Okay. And and I think you know they look at you and they're like, okay, all right, yeah, that sounds really interesting. But at the back of their mind, they probably are not thinking that you'll be crazy enough to actually give up a very comfortable job mm. to go pursue this passion. Yes. And yes. then you do, and then they and then they wake up and they're like, oh wow. This is this is real, and then it's actually happening. Yeah, it's happening, and they can see that this is going to happen with or without them. And usually, that the the thing that makes them more more comfortable with coming and participating and kind of joining you on the journey and and traveling that that journey with you. And in my case, I I was lucky because I was fortunate because I had these relationships with people in the in the finance community. And so I was able to, to raise the angel of capital to support 
my own capital and uh, and 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 invest it invest it in the business. But this is a many this is a major challenge. Even we have not, in my opinion, raised enough enough money, despite my my background and despite the advantages that come with my background. We have still, I still believe that that you know we we needed to have done more in terms of in terms of funding, and, and it's much harder, much much harder for many other African entrepreneurs who don't have the network and the contacts yeah. that, that that I have. So this is a huge issue that holds back businesses, small businesses uh, in in Africa, just the lack of capital. So it's interesting what you're saying because essentially, you know despite the skin in the game, despite the network that you have, you're still finding limitations in uh, raising capital in Africa. And, and I assume that this is at the moment limiting your potential expansion, expansion plans, correct? Absolutely. I mean, our business could be easily five to 10 times its size if we yeah. didn't have the capital constraints that we do have. And I, and I think for many African businesses, it's even worse. Uh, we are in a much better position than than many, many, many others. So I think this is uh, this is something that, at a policy level, needs to be tackled long term. Jobs are created not by government, but jobs are created by by, by businesses. And most yeah. of those businesses are small businesses. Those are the those are the job creators. Seventy percent of economies and in Africa, sometimes even more, are made up of small businesses. So if these economies yeah. are going to grow. Um, and absorb more more people into 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 the workforce. These companies need access to access to finance, and, and and that has been by far the biggest challenge growing a small business in Africa. But is it is it is it because you know, in terms of the state of venture capital in Africa, is it because you know there aren't enough funds in Africa or the small the funds are too small or does it relate back to what you were saying earlier i.e it's a cultural matter in the sense that people are still you know uncomfortable with putting their money in uh, the creative sector rather than the the brick and mortar yes so it's it's both so generally businesses in Africa regardless of industry are less likely to be able to raise capital so comparable businesses in Africa raise less money than their counterparts in other parts of the world. Okay. Just because there's less access to market, to, to capital overall. Then specifically, being in a creative industry is an added disadvantage, even in Africa. So then there's less money coming into the creative sectors because it's not that we don't really have a track record in Africa of seeing successful businesses, successful stories, successful financial story, you know, like your H&M or your Zara's, you know, these yeah. were once small companies uh, that were started decades ago by, by individuals in a small corner shop. And then over time, they grew to become these amazing international businesses. We don't really have those kinds of stories. We're building banks like that right now, and we're building energy companies like that. We haven't yet gotten to thinking as far as fashion from an institutional funding uh, perspective. So that's been one of the of the major challenges is just the uh, the mindset, specifically in Africa around creative industries. It's much easier to raise funding for this kind of business in a market like Europe or the US or even Asia, 
where they have more of a track record in you know producing uh, investing selling listing companies in the in the fashion sector compared to to Africa where you know it just is just not being done it actually you know talking about greenfield it 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 actually reminds me um very similar phase in um, the Middle East. I was working on on the entrepreneurial ecosystem in the Middle East a couple of years ago. And what you really need is first exits, like big exits, right? So a big company that gets sold to an international company. And then because you have that example and kind of a role model, then you'd start seeing more investments flowing in. I'm just thinking now of Karim. You may have heard of uh, Karim, which got... um, uh, bought by uh, hmm. Uber uh, recently. And, yes. and you need those stories. So hopefully your story will be one of the catalysts in the future to make this happen. Absolutely. There's, and that's, that's the power of the story, right? Exactly. And now investors will come to the Middle East looking for the next Kareem because they know that exactly. if you build it, somebody like an Uber is going to come and buy it. For sure. Um, and so they'll be looking for other, other opportunities. Those who miss Kareem will be looking for the next Kareem. Uh, and exactly. it's the same. We need the success stories in Africa. We need to celebrate the success stories. We need to use the success stories to then capitalize more businesses. And that's, that's how we're going to develop the, the African continent. Uh, you know, we have lots of young, unemployed people. And the economies are just not growing fast enough to absorb all of them. Yeah, for sure. So the way that we are going to get that kind of economic growth is by having businesses small businesses that are growing and, uh, and that are absorbing the, the human resources. So, so, you know, if we want to look ahead now, what plans do you have for the company, for Kiswa? So I think that the next step for us is scale. I often say to my staff that we have built the foundation for a skyscraper and, and we have put a little four-bedroom house on the foundation of a skyscraper. And now what we need to do is we need to build the rest of the skyscraper because the, the foundation is in place for us to build on top of. So that's the next major phase for us. And, uh, and that phase will come in, in, in two parts. The first part is our traditional business model, which is we use technology to efficiently manage the production and distribution of garments. So we use technology efficiently in our uh, supply chain and in the way that we organize our, our business. And, 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 and for that, the main product we sell is clothes, you know, African-inspired clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are spinning off from that business, the technology platform, our technology platform, our business processes, and, uh, and basically adding that as a new revenue stream and opening a new line of, uh, of business which uses the platform to empower other African designers and fashion businesses to be able to trade and, 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 and benefit from the same digital tools that we use in, in Kisua and make this a product for them. So we're making it easy for African designers to you know, have point-of-sale systems, use uh, the technology uh, for e-commerce with payments and logistics integration already taken care of. So 
designers don't have to spend a lot of money building out these complex, difficult solutions, but by partnering with us, they can, you know, relatively inexpensively uh, have access to um, have online presence that enables them to trade both locally and internationally. So that's part of our next phase. Okay, is is rolling out our our technology as a standalone product. It very much sounds like a Shopify for brands, right? It is. It's uh, it's like an African version of a Shopify or a Farfetch that you know enables local companies to go to go digital um, with 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 local with really local partnerships. So local logistics yeah. partnerships, hyper local um, yeah. logistics partnerships, payments payments in local currency. Payments through different channels, not just into a bank account, but potentially over m- mobile money, um, and make it really, really easy, so that yeah. just with a phone, somebody can uh, a designer, an artisan, can can actually trade with uh, with with anyone anywhere in the world. That's that sounds definitely extremely promising. Uh, I'm sure it will go incredibly well. So I have, I have, I have just uh, you know one last question for you because we have a few more minutes. Some final words. What would you tell young people as they embark on similar adventures, whether in Africa or other emerging markets? And what does it take really to be successful in Africa? In a few words. So I would say, firstly, learn. Successful people often are those who have worked with others and, and learned from others. Uh, so don't, don't be in too much of a hurry. Uh, learn as much as you can, and preferably whilst you're being paid for it. Right? So somebody's paying you, and you're learning. That's, that's uh, free school fees for you, uh, and you're getting paid. And then, and then take those learnings and, and, and when you're ready and you feel you have learned enough, you want to go out on your own, then I guess my second lesson would be don't be intimidated by failure. Oftentimes, failure is a reason we don't, we don't even try at all. But make peace with the fact that although you are aiming for success, that along the way, there will be lots of little failures. And so don't be discouraged by them because they will come, you will fall, you will trip, and you will have to regroup. And it's, it's much harder to, to recover if, if, if you don't expect that it will happen to you. Then, you know, the shock and the discouragement of it happening to you can totally demoralize you from even carrying on. So just understanding that, you know, part of running a business is failure and that you will fail, but you must learn from it. You must learn from your mistakes quickly and you must correct them quickly. And then I guess, I guess finally, it's just have fun, you know, do something that you will, you will really enjoy and you can put yourself into. When I, when I go to work, it doesn't feel like work because I really enjoy what I do. Mm. You know, regardless of the challenges, the environmental issues we have on the continent with shipping and logistics and customs and payments, too many countries, too many borders, uh, too many currencies. Despite all of that, you know, I wake up every day and I'm really excited about what I've got to go do because I really enjoy, I really enjoy what we are, what we're doing. 
Um, you know, even if I made no money, I'd be happy. But of course, it's easier to be happy if you have money. So I'm definitely trying to make sure that we make money. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Sam, thanks a lot. These are absolutely great uh, insights. And thanks again for uh, being with us today. Thank you for that. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. No, that was awesome. And, and to the audience uh, listening, I strongly encourage you to go to kiswa.com. That's uh, K-I-S-U-A.com and try it out. Thanks for listening and until next time. <laughs>